You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. So, Michael, you know, you always have these moments in history that you remember where you were, right? Like when something happens, and it could also just be something in your personal life that, like, you remember where you were, whether it's, like, 9-11 or, like, you know, a big family event or something like that. Like, you can precisely remember. Well, sometimes you have those moments in teaching, too. Yeah. And I always remember in 2009, I got an email from one of my colleagues, and they sent me this video and it was from a White House performance by a guy I'd never heard of uh, named Lynn manuel Miranda. Mm. And he had this rap song about Alexander Hamilton. And I remember watching and being like, why is someone rapping about Alexander Hamilton? I was so interested in it that I actually remember like the first time I sat and watched it. I got the same email, but from my sister, not from a colleague. But I was that colleague who sent it around and was like, hey, look, it was very exciting. Yeah, it, it was. Well, because you don't you don't see people often taking on like kind of older history in like really creative ways, especially with like modern forms like hip hop. Right. You just don't see that mix very much. And so to see and, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda is like very passionate and like this guy, he, he's very it's, he kind of gravitates, I think, a lot of energy, right? He just yeah. emits energy. And so when he did the performance at the White House, the, it was his poetry jam, and I think he was one of eight people that performed there, but, you know, that was the first part of the musical, so I didn't learn out till later. Like, he had that song written. He didn't have the rest of the musical written. It took him, like, a year to write, like, a couple of the songs, and then he had to actually come back and write the whole rest of the musical once he decided, because originally it was just going to be like a mixtape. And so, yeah, so that, that was when I, my first introduction. Were you surprised that it was about Hamilton? Oh, for sure. Because, well, I never had high views of Hamilton, right? Really? Like, I think textbooks always had this positive view towards Thomas Jefferson, which is, there's, you know, that's a questionable assumption whether the textbook should should. But they always, I think, didn't give a lot of attention or had negative attention towards Hamilton. See, I, I, I got married in Hamilton Hall because I really like Alexander Hamilton. 2009. I always wanted to have my name my kid Alexander Horatio Alger Milton. Uh, so this way it would be <laughs> like this is years like this is like high school, Michael, because I really thought that Hamilton was cool. Right. See, I feel like I thought Jefferson was cool. This is a long time ago growing up in school, right? Like I had to be, I was very, I feel like miseducated also about a lot of this. So oh, my well, opinion yeah. on, on only understanding a little bit, but like the way that my teachers and textbooks portrayed it, I was like, oh, Jefferson has these like ideals and, you know, you learn about the Declaration of Independence, things like that. I and mean, of course, the more study Jefferson, the more the, the flaws in both yeah. his logic and action and, and life increasingly come out and he's just kind of like a jerk i like to i sometimes liken him to john lennon like this visionary person who was kind of a jerk um <laughs> but yeah so have you seen hamilton oh god yeah <laughs> we got tickets to see as soon as the tickets went on sale when it was at the public so this is before it was on broadway we got tickets we saw it we saw it on valentine's day which is right before it went to broadway so like i had a, i mean 
you know, I'm a history teacher, so I had a bit a greater experience with with you know Hamilton and in the war and whatnot. My wife was along with me, who you know had listened to had only listened to that one song, and she was like, when we got to the end of the first act, which was, I mean, this was when it was in, it was longer than it was now. She was like, whoa, this is it. Is there no intervention? I was like, oh no, there's a lot more to come. I imagine we're going to be here for hours. What was really strange, there was a couple next to us who didn't come back for the second half. And I always wonder, what the hell were you thinking? Really? (laughs) We saw it again when it was on Broadway at a benefit and we got to go to a party with some of the cast afterwards. I really enjoy Hamilton a lot. Yeah, and when you're there, it's uh, it's such an interesting experience, right? Because there's history... There's all this art, and I think there's this kind of mix, because a lot of the play, it's actually, you're related, you know, some of it you're actually thinking about, like, Hamilton, and I like to talk about the difference between italicized Hamilton, right, like the plays Hamilton, and the real historical figure Hamilton, and those two differences, but then also, like, you're relating it to your own life, right, like, they have loss, the Hamiltons have loss during it, I mean, basically from, you know, and sorry, not to ruin it, but if it's, if you haven't studied history, then. There's some spoilers coming, but you know, from Phillips forward, like I just think of people in my life if they lost a child, right? So like, there's all these emotions coming from the artistic side of it too. So there's, it's really, it's really interesting. But yeah, I'm, I've seen it a couple times, and I'm like a wreck from Philip forward. I know. In the play, I just am like basically like you know tears like slowly just rolling down my cheek. That second act stuff. Yeah, it is. (laughs) So, so I think the thing is, is that. I know we've talked about this before, but I have students who come in who don't like history and anything else, but they love Hamilton, right? I had a student come in who has been struggling to pass her social studies exams to become a teacher recently, and we were talking, and she's like, the only thing I know about history is Hamilton. So there's two things there. One is, that's I'm glad that you're connecting with something. The other thing is, I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I want you to learn all your history from Hamilton. <laughs> so I'm starting to think of more and more about how to, what do we do with Hamilton in a classroom? Yeah, no, it's interesting. It, maybe we should broaden that conversation out a little bit and invite a guest. I think so, too. So we are excited to welcome into the podcast today, Delandria Hall. Welcome. Hello. How are you all doing today? Great. And yourself? <laughs> I'm doing good. I love listening to y'all in your conversation. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> now, just to get the ball rolling, what was your ex- first experience with Hamilton? Tell us your origin story. So... I am a huge Scandal fan. Like, I love Kerry Washington. And so, like, I was watching Scandal and I followed them on Twitter. And then I saw something about the Broadway play and I hadn't really been paying attention. And so then I started looking. I was like, oh, let me, because she went and she took a picture with her husband. And so then I went and I started looking about, like, looking at the musical and I heard it was really, really popular. And so I was like, oh. Oh, this is interesting. And so before I decided to come back for grad school, I said that I wanted to go to New York. And I love musicals. And so I'd only seen a few like in Dallas, I never really gotten to see one in New York, except I saw I hadn't seen a musical, I saw a play, I saw Catch Me If You Can. But I haven't really gotten to see like a musical on Broadway. And so I was like, I'm gonna spend the money and get tickets. And it was right before they were like thousands and thousands of dollars everywhere to sit. Like yeah. it was only like a couple hundred dollars at the time. And so I went 
and it was amazing. And some you could obviously tell the people next to me had seen it a couple of times because they knew every word of the of the musical. They were crying at parts. I was like, why is she crying? <laughs> I haven't seen anything sad yet. And then like Philip died, and I was like, oh, that's why she's crying. I was like, I didn't know he was gonna die. And, like, oh, the so pre-cry. It was obvious. <laughs> so the pre-cry, there was obvious. It was just. It was great. And I was I walked away thinking I've never seen a musical like this. Like I've seen hair. I've seen other things, but I never seen that. And so I was like, This is so different and it's great. And I remember downloading the album like right after I left and I listened to it on the plane all the way back and I just fell in love with it and so I was like this is a great I love Lin-Manuel this is just a great piece of art and so I um it really enjoyed it and that's my experience with Hamilton I say I'm very lucky to have seen the original cast I I appreciate that experience I'm so jealous that you both got to see the original cast that's I mean that that would be kind of my dream. I've seen it a few times. By the way, I have I have yet to pay much more than two hundred dollars for tickets. The key I think is seeing it in Chicago because a lot of people don't realize it's like a full time show there. But yeah, what was it like with the original cast? I bet that would have been amazing. So I've seen it. The first time I saw it, there was no soundtrack, and so I didn't you know totally devour that. And so that was really interesting because then I went home trying to figure out what were the words because I really wanted to like I really yeah. But then seeing it post-soundtrack, it was interesting because I was like, oh, they did that a little bit differently. Like when you see it live, because, you know, when the live performance, there's Burr. Uh, Aaron Burr was just really funny and was like really getting people to to laugh on stage. And so that was kind of interesting. And I didn't realize how much Burr was because on the soundtrack, sometimes I had a hard time with Burr. But I realized like how much more he was involved in the show. Also, Peggy. Seeing the show helps you understand the story better. I feel like I feel like I did. I only I had listened to the soundtrack before I went. But after going, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Now I get how these pieces fit together. And then when I re-listened to it, which I got way more into it after seeing it the first time, I said this whole story kind of made it sense. So I think before we get deeper into this first, Dee, can you tell us a little bit about kind of your background in education? Yes. So I taught for 11 years in the Dallas area at, at a, it's a suburb, a suburb, but it's, you know how it is, urban, suburban. So um, I taught at DeSoto High School and I coached there for 11 years. And then I came and I taught economics and AP, I taught a little of everything, economics, AP economics, government. I even did psych and AP psych. And I even had to do some of the EOC tutoring that we had a lot of that on the weekend but my primary subjects were econ and AP econ and then after that I I got my master's while I was there in, in North Texas in admin and then I decided to well I got persuaded to come back to work on my doctorate here at UT um, Austin and so I'm currently about to start my fourth year trying to make it through this this you know I did my exams but the proposal part is uh, a little daunting they don't tell you about that after (laughs) (laughs) like uh, that's a little daunting so I'm about to work on my dissertation and so my research interest centers around how we can use hip-hop in the social studies classroom and so and how like hip-hop identities of teachers and students 
particularly teachers, I'm looking at teachers, informs their practice. And so that's what I'm doing here at UT. And that's my interest. And that's how I got here. Well, I'm really glad you got your uh, master's at UNT in particular. We're so glad to have an uh, alumnus on the on the podcast of, uh, you know, where I'm at now. So um, can you can let's start with hip hop then. I think one thing that's been of interest about Hamilton is because it, it integrates hip hop and it's not just hip hop that's in the show. There's, you know, a lot of different musical forms in the show. What do you think? I mean, I, I, I see a lot of people saying that we should use hip hop in schools. Right. And, you know, I know you kind of have the hashtag hip hop ed movement. Mm-hmm. Happening. What do you, what are your thoughts about integrating hip hop? And then let's talk about how that potentially is applicable to Hamilton. So, I find it really interesting because I feel like so a lot of what I've read around hip hop ed and hip hop pedagogy, there's a lot of research around it in STEM. There's a lot of research around it in ELA, but I haven't, there's not as much in social studies, which seems like, like the perfect place for it because the way social studies is so deliberative. We talk, we have these conversations um, and debates. And it seems like this is perfect fit for it. Um, I sometimes think maybe it hasn't ventured there in because of the way a lot of times social studies gets taught. So I know that we see social studies primarily through like looking at primary sources and in and secondary sources, and we do a lot of historical thinking. But I think you can still do that through hip hop. I also think that hip hop is our students walk in with these, they see the world, they understand hip hop, like they understand it through this lens. They've grown up with it and it's, it's become so commercialized. And so students come in, like you see little kids on YouTube and on, on Twitter and they're dancing or they're, or they're like bobbing their head or you can even see some play like beatboxing. And so what all that means is they have this understanding, but when they then walk into our classroom, it's like, oh, no, we don't want to use this. But it's a perfect avenue to have our students think about the world because hip-hop is a critique. We see it only as what it gets misused sometimes. And I think that's where some of the debate around hip-hop happens in classrooms is because people think, oh, if I stand out here and I got people up, or I start just rapping like uh, like notes to some kids, they're going to like really be into it, but it's inauthentic that way. And so I think if we really are serious about it, we start with the kids and what they know. And then we also try to um, really critique the standard curriculum through the use of hip hop. And so that is a lot of the work that's been done by like, Love and Emden and Soval and Strickland, like they've done a lot of this work already. And so a lot of people have already kind of dabbled in there, but it's now trying to bring it to social studies. And I think it can be a really useful avenue, especially with Hamilton provides a sort of avenue in as a piece of art. But it also, like, I think some of their concerns about, like, it not being the only history, I think we need to then interrogate and look at that piece of art and and dissect it and what that art is saying 
which you would do with any piece. Like if I looked at a piece about that was at like our museum here at UT, the Blanton, like if I looked at a art piece on the wall, I would feel like dissected and go through it. And the same thing can be done with Hamilton and any piece of art that we choose to bring to the classroom. I really love that that perspective of that a lot of students are going to have a lot of experience, knowledge, and understanding of hip hop, and and drawing off of that into the classroom seems like such a good approach. Because I am weary of when I've seen it done poorly. You know, I've seen students make rap videos for class, and <laughs> what it ends up looking like to me is like these kind of you know, stereotypical versions of like corporate rap that have been like fed to them (laughs) over the years. And it feels like it's to me almost like mocking, right? Like, because it's just like, it's like dollar signs, money, like, you know, kind of like (laughs) these like, these like using hand signs people don't understand. And it like, I've seen, you know, particularly white students doing those videos. And it's made me very uncomfortable. I'm like, this does not feel like hip hop (laughs) to me. This feels like something else. And so you know, a lot of teachers, you know, there, there's going to have, we're going to have some teachers who know hip hop really well. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. I listen to hip hop, mm-hmm. you know, decent amount when I'm not listening to podcasts all the time. But I also feel like I, I don't feel like an expert in it. Right. I don't feel like it's also not like it's cultural for me. So what 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 advice do you have for like teachers who want to use hip hop? I think your first piece that you already said was that allowing the students to bring in their knowledge to the classroom. Right. Yes, so I would start with what my students know and how they express themselves and allow that space for that. It is a culturally relevant, sustaining sort of pedagogical tool that you can use. It's also um, meant to be, like I said, a critical tool. So we should be critiquing systems because, and I think that's part of where people misuse it is there's, there's, it hasn't been, we have to set it up where hip hop emerged and historically, like it emerged from the burning Bronx. Like there was neglect, like government neglect of these areas. Like there was redlining and the cross Bronx expressway split up this, like the Bronx neighborhoods. And so like all this stuff happened and this beautiful thing kind of emerged from what people decided was not worthy of attention, this area and, and humans who weren't worthy of this attention. So I think that if we really want to be serious about it, we have to add some historical context around hip hop. And then I also think we start with the kids and allow them to like, like if you don't know that much, you know, ask them like, what are they into? And a lot of the things, there's a lot of sampling done, right? So there's rock, there's like a lot of rock music that gets sampled through hip hop. And even classical music, jazz gets sampled through hip hop. So there's a lot of ways that even though we as teachers might not know some of the things like today's music, I'm going to be honest, some of the hip hop today, I'm just like, I don't know, is y'all, y'all listen to different <laughs> stuff. Like, I was like, I don't know, I used to listen to Pac and Biggie. And like Wu Tang Clan, like this new trap music is different, but I'm, I'll try to get into it. And so, and it, and you start with what they're interested in, especially if they're serious about having students in their classrooms. Then that's where we should start, anyways, is with the students and what, and kind of take their interest and critique. And I have seen, like, through some research and like 
there's this great, I saw this great NPR with a teacher who uh, used Kendrick Lamar's The Pimp a Butterfly in his classroom that in conjunction with um, The Bluest Eye, Toni Morrison's book. And so I thought that would be a great, that's a great example. And he, he knows a lot, but like just using two, like the, this text and linking a text to then something that they really know and bringing those two worlds together really um, impacted the students in a different way. So there's teachers doing it uh, in really interesting and critical ways. We just have to be willing. It might be uncomfortable at first, but I think that like if you give it a chance, it, it'll you you can do a really good job with it. So it seems kind of strange that the guy who wrote the Federalist Papers, who was the first Treasury Secretary of the United States, who was shot in a duel with uh, the Vice President, would get a, an entire uh, hip-hop musical about him, I guess. I wonder why that he was chosen for this. Well, I've heard Lin-Manuel explain this, and actually I think he explains it in the beginning of his White House performance, right? He talks about how, you know, Hamilton is, you know, grows up, you know, on this island. He has a lot of strife. You know, his mother, it's all, this is all in the first song. His mother dies when he's young. His uncle, I think he was living with, is his uncle or cousin that dies also his when he's young. His cousin committed suicide. Spurt. Yeah, there we go. And <laughs> Left him with and foolish so, pride. I know, right? You, you can't start saying the lyrics and, um, without going into it. So he has this he has this kind of tragedy as a young kid, makes his way to the United States where he's he's going to, you know, potentially have this like fresh start. And then he kind of gets in beefs with all these people. Right. And that's what a lot of the musical is like. He gets in beefs with Burr and and Jefferson and all these other, you know, founders. And then, you know, his son dies in a duel and then he dies in a duel in the same place. And so. Lynn Manuel has explained that he thinks it's kind of there's kind of this he, he, not only just this these tragedies and these things that have happened, which he says are often embodied often in hip hop, but also that um, you know Hamilton was a writer and he liked to connect hip hop and writing as a way to kind of as a form of expression. And so it's interesting that he said this. I mean, the the genesis of all this for Lynn Manuel Miranda was he like read the Rod Chernow book right on a beach like on vacation. And said, and it made him think like there should be, you know, I could turn this into some kind of concept album. It's interesting when you think about like, I feel like when you read about, you know, Jefferson, Hamilton, and Washington in a history book, sometimes, particularly in class, they feel almost like these mythical figures who just did stuff. And we learn about them and how great they are. I think that Hamilton, the musical, is nice because it, makes them more it brings more humanity to them and you can see them for their their passions there they feel much more fleshed out than just you know your you know jefferson likes uh agriculture and hamilton likes industry like i feel like they're right they, you know it made them more complex real people although of course they didn't yeah make them as complex i mean we didn't really hit the fact that i mean they do talk about slavery here and there but there's really not much with that in the play well and so one thing you said delandria is that you know hip-hop serves as a form of critique right and its roots are often in critiques of injustices happening in the world and so it's interesting that 
hip hop is serving as a critique from Alexander Hamilton's point of view, this, you know, white male who wasn't really an immigrant, you know, he was coming from one British colony to another British Mm -hmm. colony. And it's almost, it's really interesting because like, while I understand what Lin-Manuel was doing, there's also this problematic, you know, narrative where that story is the revolutionary story, as opposed to people of color at the time, indigenous people at the time, who really were the ones who were facing, you know, kind of systemic injustice. Yeah, I agree. Like, those are some of the things that I think Hamilton is definitely not a perfect piece of art. But also, I think that the way and I talked about this, so if I give a shout out to one of my colleagues, her name is Anna Faulkner. And so we were talking about this as a as a piece of like speculative fiction, historical fiction, to think about it in the sense that he took these founding fathers and not just in terms of the rap, but in terms of the visual, like what we see visually on the stage, right? So Burr is this black, is Leslie Odom, this black man who is with this like, booming voice and then you have Lynn Manuel play Alexander Hamilton and then you have Was- George Washington is a is a black man so just even visually to just like rethink what it means this founding means to have these people of color in these founding spots but then he doesn't really talk about it necessarily and he like he alludes to like these ideas of slavery, these ideas of sort of injustice, and but he doesn't really go in, delve into it. And I think that's where as teachers, right, if we present this musical to our students, a good thing to be would be to ask them, like, who gets left out? Or why did he say this line, well, immigrants, they get the job done. Like, like why did he add, because I have the book, I bought the book, The Hamilton, The Revolution book that has the whole play. And he kind of mm-hmm. explains his thought process. And he, like he said, he added, he was so excited to add those two lines, immigrants to get the job done. And he said during the play, everyone would like scream and get so excited. And so like, these are like things that like, you wish the students could see it. If you do, like I know my high school took the kids to a performance because, you know, it's traveling now. So if you had the opportunity, because they do it for some of the, from some of the schools and they give you like a huge discount to take the students to see like an afternoon matinee or something. And so like to see, have them see and then talk about like how what they see is different from what we think about when we think about the founding of the nation and then what what gets left out because indigenous people get left out. The conversation around slavery and what's happening with that is alluded to, but it's never really discussed. So those are things that I think need to be discussed if we want to make it more more critical, a more critical piece of art. And they literally took out the the third cabinet battle, which was about slavery more specifically. And you can mm-hmm. you can find it on the Hamilton mixtape, but it was it was taken out of the musical. I mean, it was mm-hmm. the musical is very very long. <laughs> it, it is long, I know. But so it's it's interesting, too, to think about these historical issues and kind of what they focused on. And we, we've touched on a bit of it, but like even just asking some of the questions from the song lyrics, right? So one of my, the best resources I can recommend is there's this book, Historians on Hamilton, which was edited by Renee Romano and Claire Potter. 
And it's a really good look at issues of gender and race and Broadway and all these like different topics that the way historians would, would talk about it. And they just pose some really good questions. I remember when I read that, for example, was New York City the greatest city in the world? Well, it's not if you're black, right? For example, Philadelphia would be a far better city at that time in history than New York City, which had a high population of slavery in the city. And the other questions like, you know, the idea that there was no one else in the room when it happened, right? So it talks about this secret meeting. Well, there were other people in the room and they're being, they're kind of erased out of the musical. It was oftentimes, you know, black servants who were enslaved at the time and had no choice but to be in the room when it happened. Um, But their story isn't told. And there's all kinds of ways that the musical could have actually had more people of color. For example, Hercules Mulligan in the play, you know, one thing about his story is that he actually also had um, an enslaved black person in that worked for him who did a lot of the spying on the British government. And so there's all these opportunities where they could have got it. But part of the problem probably is that they got the history from the Chernobyl, which the Chernobyl was not a critical view of Hamilton. It was kind of a celebratory view. And so in that uh, historians on Hamilton books, some of the historical accuracy issues they bring up are first this this idea of immigrants, which is very much a modern commentary, right? Because of the xenophobia and racism that exists today around immigration policy. And but, you know, Hamilton really wasn't an immigrant in the sense that you would think of immigrants today. You know, the reference to them as abolitionist manumissionists early in it is kind of probably a little bit of an exaggeration. And they're very kind in the way they treat slavery, the founders around slavery, which, you know, the history is, is very problematic. This idea of meritocracy and rags to riches stories is kind of exaggerated. And then just like the erasure of all kinds of people whose stories don't show up, whether it's people of color or really even just loyalists, right? Loyalists aren't even really in the story at all. Well, there's that farmer. Yeah, there is the, there is the one farmer, right? That I guess represents all loyalists. That's a good point. <laughs> I think that's the, the magic of the musical, though, because you bring up all these wonderful points. And I think as, his, as historians, as, as people who are trying to tell a history like we should always have these what happens though is like so we have a singular narrative with Hamilton but we also get these singular narratives with textbooks we get these singular narratives with other sources that we use so I think if we have this we have one narrative like I love this idea of bringing in these different narratives that get left out that what's missing like I love idea of bringing that you know you're talking about the book that you the the book you mentioned I think that would be great to talk about well there's all this other stuff that's happening and, and you know have the kids the students really kind of question like w- we see one narrative and this is how history gets told right like we get these singular narratives but what is left out if we don't bring in other other viewpoints I have to mention that because I just think it's a great idea to bring in. You have one narrative and then what can we add to re- and make this more um, a more a stronger conversation, a better conversation to have. I feel like just like if your textbook is the be all and end all of your class, if just the musical is the be all and end all of your class, that is also a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, it's, you know, right. making sure you are pairing with, with other things, making sure you are using, you know, a critical a critical lens, but also just enjoying it. I feel like for a hook, Hamilton is great to bring students into mm. to history. It, it it just yeah, it engages them in a slightly different way. 
And I know, yeah, I know a lot of students who are just absolutely obsessed with like some of the lessons that they've learned from Hamilton. Like there's this one, we're working on research papers. Someone said, hey, listen, if Hamilton can write all those Federalist papers, I can work on a research paper. And so it was really, you know, for a couple of months. And so like for that particular student, you know, she took the lesson that she learned, perseverance from Hamilton and applied it in that case. Yeah, I really like that. So, and I, I agree. I think here's the good part is that even if Hamilton is a source that needs to be critiqued, it's a lot better source to start with than a lot of our textbooks. First, because it's more interesting. <laughs> so a lot of students are engaging around it. So how can, how can educators use Hamilton in the classroom? Uh, you know, Delandria, the first thing you made me think of, and I've been thinking about for a while is, is, you know, even if you learn about Hamilton, one activity you could potentially do is write counter narratives, right? Like pick a song and have students write in, learn about characters from the time period, indigenous perspectives, black perspectives, women's perspectives, you know, these different perspectives that are often left out and have students maybe even write in, you know, historical characters by, by, you know, picking a song and rewriting the verse to represent their kind of viewpoint as a way to engage in those historical debates and perspective taking. I think that is a, wonder- is a wonderful idea. I think that would be, it invites them to like be creative in their own own way. I would even like say they could like add beats to it if they wanted to, they could perform it for the class. I think that would be really, you could turn that into a, a larger project I feel like. And it would be something interesting because I feel like, like I know I've heard of, I've talked to some eighth grade teachers who've used it. And um, I know that they use certain songs, like the rap battles, especially for the Federalists and Anti-Federalists, which I always, those are kind of my, one of my, some of my favorite parts of the, of the musical. I also know that some teachers just like, like the students to listen to, listen to the, the um, album. But I think, like doing something like that is actually letting taking it a step further, getting them to really think about the narrative of the play in different narratives. So in class, I had students do a, a close reading of Cabinet Battle Number One, looking at some of the issues that Hamilton and Jefferson are facing, and then in the end, they would write each other based upon another issue that they're having write each other some smack talk between the two. And they could do it in verse if they would like. It actually, it ended up being really fun. Uh, and I did share my lesson out on my blog and another blog. And so if anyone's interested in that, we have the link to it in the show notes. That's really cool. And yeah, I mean, I've seen some teachers do some other interesting things. You know, I've seen Hamilton used, you know, in elementary school where the students listen. We have a, a lesson from a librarian who used a few of the songs. The main, One of the main things the librarian talked about was, though, that, you know, Hamilton, there's always, like, one to two, like, cuss words, I think, yeah, in yeah. songs, which is always something teachers just have to consider. I mean, with high school students, I, I wouldn't honestly probably care that much. But with elementary, I can understand that being concerned. So that, that they talked about using, like, clips or parts of songs, that were part, and they used, for example, Farber Refuted, You'll Be Back, um, which neither of those are actually hip hop, but then used Right Hand Man as kind of part of it uh, to analyze. And I know Glenn Weeby, we have in our show notes, has, has done some stuff where he's uh, written a couple blog posts about different resources and using it. We'll put those in the show notes. And then I met, there was one other lesson that somebody tweeted out that I put in the show notes about pairing John Trumbull's famous painting of the Constitutional Convention with Hamilton oh. mixtape track number one, which I thought was a really good contrast is kind of paired 
you know, kind of paired paired documents, paired sources to kind of analyze together, like how they tell different stories. So the, those are so some teachers have been using it. I don't know what else. How what else? What would be some of the kind of warnings or ideas of how how teachers could use this in the classroom? I like all of your you uh, like. I haven't really seen it. I'm just thinking about what I've seen in classrooms. But for me, as an econ teacher, because most of the time we think about it only in terms of U.S., but U.S. history, but I think you could easily use this in terms of econ and talking about the the debate over establishing a bank and what that means to how our economic system is kind of set up. I think it could be interesting to kind of think about what Hamilton is where he talks about trying to establish this bank and there's pushback and why that pushback happened and what that means like why was it necessary I think that could be an interesting conversation around Hamilton but I think I'm liking what you all are saying because what I have seen is that there are some like I've seen people use it but they use it just in terms of hey we're gonna listen to it but there's not really like really engaging with it. I like what you all are talking about because there's more engagement with the actual text and the the actual musical. Well, I think that and is that in Cabinet Battle Number One when Hamilton is arguing for the bank? Yeah, for the founding. Of the yes. bank? but they yes, mention yes. it a couple other times. In yeah, they do. His son mentions it at one point. I'm, I forget which song it is. I was just thinking it. I know. We're, it's funny. We know. We all probably know this. My dad's really. trying to work on America's banks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Take a break. Which, by the way, the using the cabinet battles as rap battles it was another one of kind of those really genius moves that Lin Manuel Miranda made, right? So, because what it does is it also brings the debates to life. You know, because we often see history as this thing that just happened, yeah. not as not as these contested things that could have been done differently and that people saw very differently. And so the cabinet battles is such a great way to open it up. And I could see using that in the classroom too, where students create their own, you know, kind of rap battle on different issues, right. To kind of even, right. even using the song and rewriting some of the lyrics on different issues to kind of understand it. But yeah, the, 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 you know, you brought up the econ perspective, but there's so much history in it, right? It takes you from the Revolutionary War through the Constitutional Convention to the Washington administration and the Farewell Address through the election of 1800, you know, the Adams administration to the election of 1800, the Burr-Hamilton duel. And then, you know, gosh, Eliza Schuyler's, you know, life goes all the way into the 1850s, right? Because she Mm -hmm. she outlives Hamilton by 50 years. So there's a lot of history that and and content that's being covered in this musical which is which is pretty incredible it's very big now if you want to look at a smaller bit of history there's also bloody bloody andrew jackson the emo musical about (laughs) andrew jackson actually does go over quite a bit it's pretty fun i've saw it i almost got to see it on broadway but it was or when it was off broadway but i ended up seeing a, a local production it was still pretty fun I also think it would be interesting to think about the role women play. Hamilton does a really interesting job with the women because they're actually very strong, but they don't have a lot of rights at the time. So just to think about like what these women were really like and what they were contributing. Because we don't really ever talk about the women a lot. And so I think that this musical would allow us to think about like what rights do women have at this time? Um, why are they saying certain things? Like I think it would be a very interesting way to talk about 
that is what I feel like if you ever see Lin-Manuel Miranda, you should compel him to include women in a, a sequel or get someone else to write it. <laughs> well, yeah, I can't believe we haven't had more uh, lyrical uses of this in this uh, episode I'm holding so back. far. Yeah, and I... <laughs> I do think, you know, the Schuyler sisters provide this, although the Angelica, you know, liking Alexander Hamilton is kind of one of the most exaggerated parts of the story that's not historically accurate, right? She was married, and so that part is... It, I've heard that this, they say that's debatable. They don't really know. They they just said they didn't have an affair, but it might have been like an emotion. Because they have these letters where they yes. just like... Where they, it's really hard to tell what was happening. Well, she talks about placements. the comma. She so apparently that was in <laughs> French, uh, and it would happen another time too. Well, and I'm thinking so this fall in our methods classes, we're using Erica Armstrong Dunbar's uh, Never Caught book on Ona Judge, and I was just thinking about how what the musical provides this lens into the Schuyler sisters you know, kind of life. What was it like for these kind of wealthier white women at the time? That a good you know, counter narrative would also be like, what well, what was New York like for Ona Judge at the time? Mm. Which, and and those, you know, those different stories about what if we had Ona Judge in the musical? What would her role in the musical be? Um, how could we insert her character in the narrative? And how is that different from the white Schuyler sisters stories? And can help us understand kind of a understanding of, of women's roles, but not just white women's roles, women and from different aspects of society, kind of an intersectional perspective. So, gosh, I'm getting so many ideas from this. I think of things we could do. Yeah. I love that idea, actually, a lot. All right, so I think we've kind of talked a little bit about the musical. If you if you aren't a Hamilton fan or you haven't listened to it, hopefully it's kind of helped you think about it a little bit more. And we definitely, in the show notes, will have a variety of ideas for teaching about it, both from the perspective of thinking about the history, but also thinking about how to integrate hip hop into it. But I think what we'll finish with is just kind of maybe talking about uh, some some song or something we really like about the musical. And I've been thinking a lot lately about, I feel like my the song that I feel like kind of embodies kind of the, the genius of Lin-Manuel Miranda is nonstop. Mm -hmm. So it's the last song of the first act. And I love how it weaves together the stories, everything that's happened in the musical up to that point, right? You have like the the kind of little references to like six or seven songs that are happening but you have these two characters you know Aaron Burr's kind of more conservative approach to you know taking action and waiting for you know being an opportunist as opposed to Alexander Hamilton just putting himself out there but then you also have just like the pure dorkiness of making like this big deal about writing 51 you know, Federalist Papers. I think it's like the dorkiest part of the whole musical, <laughs> in my opinion. But I really love that song. And so if you, it, once you get, if, once you listen to the musical, it took me a while, but nonstop's kind of lately become like my favorite song in the musical because it brings in so many elements of different characters and the way Miranda wrote them into the play. Dan, one day we'll have to talk about the shape of musicals and how different musical numbers go. There's I want songs, <laughs> I wish songs, revolution numbers, which this is one of them, which brings in a bunch of different people we can have a very yeah, that's musical a, uh that's a great that. point no I, I i've actually read about how, how miranda used a lot of the typical right ways well that yeah because that's, cause that's how you make a musical i mean yeah. don't it's an amazing song i have a lot to learn i've not I've, that's and that's one of the interesting things for our students too right i'm not into musicals like i've never been into musicals but i love hamilton Oh really? We gotta. We have to show you some more musicals. <laughs> I know. 
Well, and I'm open, right? It's like this is the this is the gateway in. So I'm open. Uh, let's go to some musicals. We'll That's all, all three of will go together. Because for a lot of students, Hamilton's a gateway into history and musicals as well. Right. <laughs> I think I listened to it like Theodosia. I sing that to my daughter. And so that's just kind of a, a lovely little. Oh, that's so cute. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the Skylar Sisters is another fun little dance song with her. But I think my. Oh, do you know what? It's Quiet Uptown makes me think of my grandparents uh, who lost a, a, a child uh, before I was born. There's just like, I don't know. There's a lot of songs that are just so touching. And it's the saddest song, right, in the musical. And I know. I, the, the saddest thing about it always to me is that Eliza is silent the whole time. Because you like, I like always am thinking about that during that song, how she doesn't sing at all. It's always Hamilton, by the way, who screws everything up and everything's his fault, uh, in my opinion. <laughs> but she, that, all she has is what I think the two words or three words. It's quiet uptown is all. And she says it once towards the end of the song. And so, I, yeah, that song is a tearjerker. Yeah. I like them all. <laughs> the yeah. world is wide enough. Anytime Leslie Odin sings, it's like, <laughs> man, I just want to hear more songs. I do have I bought uh, his Christmas album, which is amazing. And I I like it. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's no, this could me. this could be like an eight hour podcast. I feel like it's amazing we haven't mentioned In one last Diggs, time. Right? <laughs> I I, well, we haven't even talked about David Diggs rapping in it, right? As Lafayette, which is like Guns and ships. Amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And if you haven't listened to V Diggs' other stuff, you know, outside of Hamilton, he's amazing. Right. I'm like you. I don't know what I can pick. Like, so I love the rap battles. I don't know. They just remind me of other stuff I like. So I really like those. But I also like, like, the, because it is a musical. Like, I think some people, like, I heard Gerard Carmichael say that, like, oh, he went to see it and he's like, this isn't hip hop. And I was like, well, I mean, it's a musical. Like, it's yeah. it just incorporates hip hop in it, but it's a musical. And so I really love Satisfied. Yes. I really also love, I do love In the Room Where It Happens. I, when it happens, like, I just, that's Leslie Odom when he's singing. I'm just like, wow, this is like, I just remember standing up and just clapping and like, I didn't want to sit down. Mm -hmm. He was so amazing during that song. It was so good. And I leave, even like the opening number because the opening number, some musicals, the opening number isn't as, it just doesn't pop like that. And the opening Alexander Hamilton is like his introduction to everybody is like so amazing because this it you could feel it was going to be different from the go as soon as it started i was like oh this is going to be different this is really different than what i've i'm used to but i think satisfied is probably like i love that song i can't i'm not a i can't flow i have zero flow but i love satisfied in the way she sings and goes in and out of everything it's just great Delandria, I was going to ask if you could almost say something about the critique that Hamilton is of hip hop. Like, um, how can how can teachers understand that? Because it's definitely a different form of hip hop than than the genre that kind of exists in its authentic forms outside of a musical, right? Right, right. And see, I think it also depends on who you are. To me, it is hip hop, but to someone else, it is. It could not be because the typical genre of hip hop is like you're just gonna. There's this in scene and like you're there's a there is a beat to the musical there's a flow so to me it feels like hip-hop but to some people like 
they're like old hip hop heads. They might not say it is, but like Questlove loves Hamilton, and there's a lot of like Pharrell, a lot of people who would be considered traditional hip hop people love it, but other people don't because it doesn't have the same kind of I would say like raw kind of like bravado sort of kind of take on it. So it just depends on who you ask. But to me, it is hip hop. It just depends on, but it's also a musical. So it's, it's bringing these two elements together. So that's why you have the singing and then you have some like rhyme and lyricism. And then you go back to the singing because it's a mixture of everything, which works. It's genius. Like I, I think just the genius that he put that together is amazing to me. And then I also like, just as historians, I like the narrative, who lives, who dies, who tells your story. The idea of that, because that's the big thing in history, right? What mm-hmm. story gets, gets told depends on who, who's telling the story and who, who wrote the story. So I really just love that idea for history. That's my thing. So that's what I think. <laughs> So Delandria, thank you so much for joining us today. I think you provided us a lot of wisdom and helped us think about Hamilton and some possibilities about what we can do in the classroom. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been great. I wish I could talk more about it, but we would be here for hours. So So if we do want to talk more, where can our listeners find you or your work online, Delandria? It's um, at Delandria Hall on Twitter is the best place to find me. Nice, and we can probably talk about some TV, too. Yes, we can talk about TV. Yeah, I think that's kind of why I also like Hamilton's little soap opera. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> I love my soap opera. <laughs> so thank you. thank you again for joining us. We really had fun in this discussion. We certainly hope to continue it online, so please send us those tweets at our Visions of Ed account, especially if you have some great ideas about teaching Hamilton in your classroom. I know we're all trying to figure it out, so we hopefully will continue the discussions there. Yeah. So at the Vision of Education podcast, we're all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun, creative in education, or you just want to give us your impression about Hamilton, tweet us at Visions of Ed. We're also on Facebook and that mystery space. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Visions of Education on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you want us to be. If you write as a five-star review, we'll read it on the air. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. (laughs) Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast. Signing off. Oh, Hercules Mulligan!